you in a school locker? Me? Yeah. No. Oh. When did you paint your kitchen green? <laughs> it's not. It's not green. That's it's just green. The, like it's totally green. No, but there's a really weird reflection like out the window through <laughs> the bush from the sun, and it totally looks green, but it's absolutely gray. <laughs> All right, let's get down to business. All right. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Here we are again, boys. Hello. Good day. The uh, YouTubers might notice that we are all matching, uh, wearing matching shirts today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know why that is. Oh, yeah. Just... Not let's, too long. Yeah, let's not tilt that camera down too far. <laughs> I, was, I was trying. To, I like the images. That was one of the things I was going to say. Is that? Uh, is that? So well. Anyway, the news is that Steamworks, our favorite beer sponsor, is back sponsoring this episode. So cheers and thank cheers. you very much to Steamworks. Cheers. There will be another prize pack, as like the one we uh, sent before. Oh, how are we giving that away? Uh, well, we'll see who wins it. It'll be well. Well, how can you enter? Well. How, <laughs> <laughs> it's either comment like comment on the YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube or comment on the show notes page on our website figarage.ca. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, are you tracking uh iTunes comments there economist? iTunes? I haven't looked lately. Okay. Well, we might have to dig yeah, in. Yeah, though just just the show notes and the YouTube comments yeah. will be entered. Yeah, we'll give it away mid-May. Sounds good. Accountant, what do we got up for grabs this time in the prize back? We have a hoodie from Steamworks Brewing, as well as some of these delicious flagship hazy IPAs. This is what we're drinking tonight, too. Cheers. Yeah. So what? Uh, tell us a little bit about the Steamworks on this beer. So Galaxy, Citra, and Mosaic hops are known by brewers as cheater hops, because if you use any one of them, you'll likely create a tasty beer. <laughs> flagship uses all three, and coupled with the hazy style, it's just flat out ridiculously great. That is our blurb, and I have had this before, and it is quite tasty. So, cheers, gentlemen. There's, cheers. there's, there's the hazy. I, you can see it there. I drink my hazies out of a glass because I really like the nose of them. My glass is a different brewery, so I couldn't do that. I. That's why I'm holding my glass <laughs> like this because it's. Right. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Steamworks, you haven't sent us a glass yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, one of the big things about those hops that I really love about the hazy IPAs is the big nose you get off them. And it's yeah. funny that when you read the blurb there account, maybe that's why our first uh, batch of beer didn't turn out because we didn't use the cheater hops. No, we didn't. That's a that's a good point. We might need to take some like lessons from the from the brewers over at Steamworks and see if we can improve our own home brewing. Yeah, zoom it up, boys. Hook, hook us up. Well, funny thing is we did brew a batch of beer because we've talked about this on the show before. You can save a whole bunch of money brewing beer. Plus, it's kind of fun. We're actually going all grain now and, and doing the real deal. But I don't think we're saving any money. I Well, <laughs> not, not, I, what did we figure out? It was like 100 batches for return on investment? Yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, if I, we'll get there eventually. It's a, it's, a yeah. long, it's a long game. Long play. But I wanted to feature our first beer on the show. Uh, but that is probably not going to be the second beer. So that's something to look forward to for all the listeners out there. We will eventually feature an FI Garage Ale. Yes. Yes, we will. Well, cheers again. And let's decide what we're going to talk about. Oh, wait a minute. We already decided. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about. What's our question? You know, we were supposed to record this last week and I asked you guys what we were talking about. And I got a bunch of like, the, you know, like the shoulder shake emojis on my phone from text. <laughs> and then I did it again today and I got three different answers. So basically, this is going to be housing and mortgages 
potluck, whatever you want to talk about, we're talking about it. I was woefully inadequate at my research this week. Uh, the weather's just too darn nice to sit inside of my computer. <laughs> and uh, so I'm leaving that all up to the accountant who's actually trying to be part-time, like a legitimate try now. Yes, I am trying to be part-time. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm spending any more time researching things. It means I'm spending more time on the boat and less time at work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems like a good idea. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's jump into it. Do you guys want to start off with the news that everybody's talking about? It seems to be, I mean, we're recording this here in mid-April, and it's house prices across the country are nuts, right? They are nuts. Yeah, that's that's news. In 2007. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. Don't you think like in the last year, like since the beginning of COVID, it's just been a, a crazy run up for which I think is a little unexpected, but the supply has dropped so much that it's just running right. prices everywhere, right? Yeah. But this relates to us on our FI journey because you may be a homeowner. So how does that impact your potential geo arbitrage or remortgaging or things like that, having this value that's already, that's just started to build into your, your home equity. Do you use your home equity now that's worth way more, right? Maybe some people that didn't put 20% down now have enough equity in there that they could start the Smith maneuver. They're, they're already at 20% equity off the, or right off the bat, right? So there's a lot of discussions I think that are interesting when it comes to our FI journey around housing. We know it's the most expensive category, right? Well, and especially what's the average house price in Vancouver, Victoria right now, at least a million dollars? I would say so. That's not how averages work. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I'm glad glad we have an economist here to make sure we're getting all of this right. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad that the economist chirped the account because I'm usually the one getting chirped for the math. (laughs) (laughs) But no, houses are expensive. I will. And if you look at it, I've heard of couples that I know in Vancouver that are in the 1.8 to $2 million range for a single family home. And if you're trying to be financially independent, what do you do when that's your starting point to have a house to live in? Move? Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's an option for sure. But maybe not the one they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. For me, that's part of the problem, right? Is all of us want to live where we want to live. And like you said, move, right? Yeah, like why not just move to the East Coast or to a small town or cold, small. <laughs> <laughs> that see, isn't that the problem? We're all yeah. uh, we're all selfish. So yeah, exactly. The, the case is that I don't. I think before we were seeing the prices in the major centers continually growing at a fairly rapid pace, but now it seems like it's everywhere, like out into the suburbs, right? Well, and not just the suburbs, even smaller markets, you're seeing outrageous house prices. I was reading a stat that I think over the past 10 years, Canada as a whole now has seen the greatest housing price increase in the world. Good job, government programs. Well, that's what I was <laughs> I was going to say. So a couple things is, do we dare use the B word? I hate throwing it out there. But what do you guys think? Economist? A bubble or bust? Yeah. What do you think, economists? Are we in a bubble, housing bubble? Like immediately right now. Who can tell? You can't tell until the bubble pops, right? It's like trying to time the market, trying to time the real estate market. It's just a different market. Yeah. What do you think? Again, it's way too hard to tell. What if all of the money that has just been printed around the globe causes mass inflation? And instead of getting a bubble bursting, we just get everything else catches up to where housing already skyrocketed to. 
you, you don't know. Yeah. I mentioned supply. That's definitely an issue that's driving up prices. Uh, low interest rates is definitely driving up prices. And you brought up another one there about the massive amounts of stimulus that are going into the economy, which everybody's expecting or you know proposing there could be inflation. And we've seen vast increases in the markets, both housing and the stock market. So are, is real estate now a store of value? Because you're like, well, if my currency gets devalued, I want my money to be in real estate for long-term investment. I want the tangible asset. Yeah. I mean, that's a big factor for sure. And another one that you kind of have a perfect storm. You have historically low interest rates that we've had for years. You have a K-shaped recovery where half of people are doing absolutely terrible right now. And half of the economy has had the most banner year they've ever had and have more and more money. And the government's printing more and more money. Yep. So you get this increasing influx of people where the people who are doing poorly are doing even more pe- poorly and the people are, who are doing well are doing even better. You know, there's certain industries here where everything's blown up and there's the restaurant industry where you've absolutely been crippled and handcuffed. Yeah. So it's this perfect storm of just affordability going in the dumpster. And I mean, we could get into the whole foreign buyers thing and everything else that goes along with it, but who knows? You can't say if we're in a bubble or not. No. And that's it. And some markets might be in a bubble and some might just ride the bubble out, right? Like, yeah. I mean, when the US bubble burst, the Canadian market kind of leveled off. Just leveled off, yeah. A little bit for a little while and then continued on the medioc- mediocric rise? Meteoric. Meteoric, meteoric. meteoric rise? <laughs> there's, there's the word you want. <laughs> uh, stick to economics. <laughs> <laughs> Linguistics is not your thing. <laughs> Nor is astronomy. <laughs> Well, and that's the real danger here is if you start getting interest rates increasing significantly, you could see people that bought at the top of their budget at the top of the bubble, when they come to renew in five years, all of a sudden they're not paying 2%, they're paying 4 or 5%. That's going to price them out of being able to afford that home. Yeah, in, totally possible. You know, probably 90% of the cases. So I think your big risk for if a bubble is going to pop is if we see rapidly rising interest rates. Rapidly, for sure. Yeah. Or significantly. 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 Anyway. I mean, yeah. they. you have to think that they will go up. Yeah. But hopefully not too quickly. For Who can people. tell? <laughs> Who can tell? I don't want to get totally sidetracked here, but one of the discussions around that is that because the government manipulates, well, maybe that's not the right word to use, sets the yes, interest rates. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely the word. They manipulate it. Absolutely. <laughs> they because they have stimulated the economy so much that their cost of borrowing is directly impacted by the interest rate they set. So it comes down to a a light item when you do the budget is go, well, if we raise interest rates across the board, we are raising our own interest rate on the billions, the hundreds of billions that we now have to pay, which is a substantial economic impact to everybody in the country, right? Right. But you're thinking that the government is going to think about being fiscally responsible (laughs) when they're making those decisions. And I'm pretty sure the last 12 months of our government has proven that they are not fiscally responsible. Aren't we talking about housing? Yeah, I say I don't want to get off on a <laughs> right. political tangent yeah. here because it's so easy to do. But okay, yeah. while we're on while we're on this tangent, what about the little bit of discussion, the noise that we heard about uh, changing the 
personal exemption amount on sale of a primary residence accountant. Do you have anything, do you have any thoughts on that? You think it's just a, I mean, I know I'm pretty sure it got turned down, but what are your thoughts on that? That has been talked about since I first started taking accounting classes in college. Like that's, it's been on the table forever. And I'm going to bet that at some point we lose the principal residence exemption or it gets capped to a certain dollar amount. Maybe cap, but I just the way that the government pushes home ownership in until that changes, I don't think that exemption's going away. That's probably true. I don't think it's going away, but I think yeah. it'll get eaten into probably. Right. I think what we need to look at there, the the obvious is that for many, many Canadians, their home is their largest asset, right? And that is their retirement vehicle. You know, the FI community I think is unique in that in that sense. Do they ever get in it? What do you do they ever drive the vehicle? <laughs> or do they just ride it out? Do they just stay in their home and have asset an asset that never gets used? I don't know. And I couldn't hate this more because a home is not a retirement asset. Right. Your principal residence is not a retirement asset. I'm not sure how many times I can say that, but I just need people to understand that. <laughs> a pr- your principal residence is not a retirement asset. Well, unless your plan is to sell it when you retire. Sure. Right? Okay. I, I like this because this is part of what I wanted to bring up for my dish to the uh, dinner here tonight was that... Because it's a potluck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was, I was pausing to think and now I'm pausing <laughs> to laugh. I'm screwed. <laughs> What's your uh, dish? <laughs> well, oh, speaking of dishes, just another little segue here is, oh my God. <laughs> he usually gets mad at us for this sort of stuff. I know. How many did you have on the deck today? It's been a, hey, it's been a light day. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Only six. Coast Fi boys, Coast Fi. Right. One thing, one thing you didn't mention in the Steamworks Hazy IPA flagship Hazy IPA was at the bottom they've got some recommended food pairings, and the first one is Kashmiri Korna. So I had to look that up. It's obviously a curry dish, but it just so happens I had a wonderful meatball curry that my wife made that we pulled out of the freezer for freezer dinner from pre-made meals, and I do find that IPAs pair really well with curries. So that's that's just a pro tip from Money Mechanic for you guys. Thanks. And has absolutely nothing to do with this. <laughs> That's the dish you were bringing? Did you not see how I got our sponsor back in there? I mean, that was good work. <laughs> Cheers, Steamworks. <laughs> uh, okay, so my dish was going to be... He can't remember. Because it's a potluck. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Come on, brain. Shall, shall we uh, circle back? It's It's not happening, yeah. If you're planning on selling your home in retirement to fund your retirement, where are you going to, like, now are you renting? That's my dish. That's your dish? I got my dish. dish. I got my dish back. (laughs) Okay. I'm the one who just started talking about it, but sure. Now you got to go home and make something else. (laughs) No, it it wasn't that, but it was the discussion about you. Okay. Let's circle back to where you said your house is not an asset. And then... I'm going to disagree with you as well because the economist said, what if you sell? And I'm going to say, what if you sell in geo-arbitrage? Because that's a pretty realistic option for a lot of people in the FI community. Well, the thing is, if you're selling in a high-priced uh, market, you, good chance you can renting is going to be a good deal because rental rates lag, right? So yes, to answer your question, yes, sell and rent, sell and travel, sell and sale, sell and RV, 
you know, you, if you have a plan, you probably have the whole plan, not just part of it, right? Sure. So let's say you've got your $2 million Vancouver house and that's your entire real estate asset. How diversified do you feel? How secure yeah. do you feel in your diversification? You, you probably want to sell every day. <laughs> every day. And what happens when you decide that you actually really like where you live and you want to stay in that home because right. it's where you raised your kids and it's your family home and you don't want to go anywhere? And you can't predict future you today. You cannot predict future you. Right. So it's, it's not yielding you any cash flow. Yeah. So even if you have a $2 million paid off house, what are you living off of at that point? Sure, you don't have to pay rent, but you're still going to have to pay property tax. You still got to pay utilities. And if you don't have a sweet or secondary income, which is the case where I will argue that your principal residence does become an asset, right? then you don't have any cash flow to live off of. I don't yeah. care that you have $2 million. You have to change something about your lifestyle in order to become FI. Well, not necessarily. You might have lots of investments. No, he said that's your only or, asset. If that's oh, your, your only, only asset, asset, right? Yeah, if that's okay. your whole retirement plan, your whole right. retirement plan hinges on you significantly changing your lifestyle. Or taking a reverse mortgage. Oh, yeah. don't Ooh, take a freaking reverse mortgage. <laughs> let's not go there. This is an FI discussion, not a <laughs> yeah. worst case scenario discussion. <laughs> exactly. But, but honestly, that is kind of the, the solution for a lot of people that have poured all their money into their house. Mm -hmm. to try and extract that money at the end or when you need it is, right. is coming up with some sort of reverse mortgage, you know, e-locking. E so this brings me into the discussion more five related is that can you have a mortgage and be financially independent? And if your goal is to fire or become financially independent, why are you in such a rush to pay off your mortgage? I totally understand that this is a psychological question because you can math it out and it totally makes sense. You can use all the assumptions that we usually see that you're going to get 7% market returns and that makes you're going to make way more money in the end. But if your goal is to be FI, can you do it carrying a mortgage? What do you think? Sean? Well, I'm going to jump in because sure you can, because you can do it as a renter. Yeah. So if you have a mortgage, you're just part renter, really. Right. Like you're renting money from the bank and you have some equity. So if you can fire as a renter, you can fire as a mortgage holder. Of course. Exactly. And it's it's no different than any other scenario when you take your overall portfolio and you look at your risk level. If I have a paid off house, I'm at a lower risk level in the housing department than somebody who doesn't. But maybe I want to have a paid off house and I'm going to take more risk somewhere else. Maybe I'm going to have a way more conservative portfolio and keep a mortgage. It's all about your own risk level. If you have a mortgage, that's just extra cash flow that you need to be able to cover every year. Right. It still comes down to balancing your budget, right? Exactly. It's exactly like you said. It's no different than being a renter. You have mortgage payments, you have a certain set of expenses, and that's what it costs you to live. Well, if you don't have a mortgage, you're taking out a big chunk of what it costs you to live. If you do, it's higher and you're going to need more assets producing more income for you. Right. And I mean, you could hold a mortgage in a low property tax area and actually have lower housing expenses than someone who's mortgage-free in a high property tax area. Yep. Right? That's a, that's a very fair point. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it's balancing, balancing the budget. Now, here's a strategy that I've employed is I'm now using my house to pay off my mortgage. So it becomes a zero line item on my monthly budget. Your, your house goes to work? 
Yes. Where does it work? (laughs) Because I've built up equity in it, I've chosen to put that equity to work, which I know we're talking about leverage investing here. But the point is, is once you get to a certain point in home equity, and this is this is like the ultimate no way I'd never leverage discussion, right? Or yes, I'll do that all day long. But at a certain point, you can remove your but your mortgage line item from your monthly expenses if you use your house equity wisely, as risk-free as possible. Arbitraging it, right? Arbitraging it, yeah. You're arbitraging the rate of return you get versus the mortgage you have to pay. There's a certain point where you can use, and I'm not advocating to use all the equity because I, there was a discussion on Facebook about this earlier and they were using a hypothetical number of 800K, right? Well, if you were using 200K of your mortgage, your equity to generate, you can generate just about enough cash flow there to be paying your mortgage when your mortgage is down to like 100, 150 grand. So at a certain point, why would you continue trying to pay your mortgage? You just let it ride and let it pay for itself. What do you guys think about that strategy? I have no problem with it. I think, again, it all depends on your risk profile. But it's like you're saying, if you had, say you have a HELOC on your house and you have a $200,000 HELOC that's at 3% and you pull out another 200000 that you can invest at 6%, all things being equal, well, the 6% return on your two hundred grand is going to pay off the 3% on the four hundred grand outstanding that's no longer an expense item. It's just a wash. And this is my point though, right? Because we're trying to achieve financial independence, right? So financial independence means that you have enough monthly cash flow to pay for your needs without yeah. going to work. Without going to work, right? So that's why I'm saying is you I don't need to wait until I hit the 4% rule. I can turbocharge that by using that equity to pay for the house, right? And I believe now, this is, hey, I did do some research. I read this article from uh, Liquid on Freedom 35 quite a long time ago. So I'll have to dig that up for the show notes. But he talked about the same thing as using, and I think we brought it up on the show before too, because he talked about investing in mix, right? Mortgage investment corporations to do what I'm talking about. I don't choose right. to use mix, but that was his thing is like, why not just use that equity to pay for your mortgage expense? And then you're, you can take that right out of your FI equation. Totally until it blows up in your face. I'm not saying there's no risk. I'm not saying there's no risk, right? And that's where it comes down. How many times we bring this up? It's all about your own psychology and what you want, right? Mm -hmm. But the general, a lot of the general consensus, and we've talked about this too, is that the average person trying to achieve FI is really motivated, but also very conservative and from an investment side. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's easier to have, I think it's easier to build assets that will pay for your mortgage than it is to pay off your mortgage. Say that again, just in case is, anybody zoned out because you were talking. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Actually, I'm not surprised if people do that. It is easier to build assets that will pay for your mortgage than it is to pay off your mortgage. Right. People hate us if I drop in there. I'm like, oh, so you got that straight out of Rich Dad Poor Dad, didn't you? Uh, did I? I don't <laughs> think I did. <laughs> It's, Maybe I did. It's pretty much along his message is build assets that pay for liabilities. Yeah. And if part of it is that you're, your one foundational building block of your whole financial stability is you want a house that no one can ever take away from you, then I fully understand paying it off. Mm-hmm. Well, objectively, I think we all want a paid off house, right? Yeah. Like, that's the goal. But is it? I think, <laughs> okay, 
Well, from a fire perspective, I think it is important because it's it's your it is your last case. It's your backstop. It's the backup plan. If your fire plan goes sideways, you still have the house you live in to do whatever you want with. Now, this is of course ignoring the fact that you may want to leave it to your children. It may be part of your estate or or whatnot. But it is an asset that could be used down the road. Without that's not maybe not your intention, but if it's paid off, it gives you that chance to use it. But again, that circles back to my argument is you don't have to wait until it's paid off. You can start using it before that. Or if you're just paying your low interest rate, low monthly or biweekly mortgage payments and your FI, then that's okay. Like you said, it's just another line item. What's the rush? Yeah. yeah. What's what's yeah. the rush? No, absolutely. I've I've seen that a lot with people who are retiring and have like defined benefit pensions and they're worried because they're retiring with a mortgage. <laughs> you still have a defined payment that's coming in every week and you know exactly what your mortgage payment is. Right. Who cares if it's paid off 10 years into retirement instead of when you retire? Not a big deal, right? No. Okay, let's change gears a little bit here and talk about what happens if you have a mortgage right now. So you do a lot of refinancing account. Like it blows my mind how much refinancing you do. So you <laughs> yeah. should be, you should actually be able to wax eloquent here. But for me, it's the discussion revolves around rates are dropping or have been dropping over the last, what do you, what, I'm not going to call a time frame here, but they've, they've gotten lower. And a lot of people are sitting in a fixed rate mortgage that's probably close to 3%, maybe even over 3%. They want to get into a 1.74 that's being listed now, right? Yep. We've heard about the blend and extend strategy before. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to well, sum- just who some people might not have. I'm going to summarize that unless one of you guys want to, but I can do a quick summary on it. Oh, let's hear. Enlighten us. Yeah. Well, you guys just sip on your beer while I try this. <laughs> So blend and extend, and you can please correct me if I get any part of this wrong, but say uh, hypothetically you have four years remaining on your five-year fixed term, but the penalty to break that mortgage is going to be your three-month penalty generally, or it's going to be the interest rate differential. I'm not going to go into super detail on that because there's a good YouTube video that Jackie Cuck did that I just found his YouTube channel. So we'll put that in the show notes and he explains how that interest rate differential can be like a huge amount of money compared to what the three month penalty is. So we won't go into the math on that, but you're stuck with this situation. So you can then ask the bank, say, I'd like to get a lower rate. What can I get for a one-year mortgage that brings your mortgage back up to five years? Right? Am I losing track here? No. Blend and extend. So you're extending it back to five years. No, I'm wrong, aren't I? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> go ahead, accountant. So, okay. You're cut. You're okay, cut. Go ahead. You're cut. Have, have a beer. Yeah, have a beer. <sighs> Not my best episode. You're right <laughs> on the blend and extend that you're bringing it back up to five years. But what they will do is they will take your current rate and they will look at the current five-year offering and they will give you a blended of that and create a new five-year rate for you. Now, what a smart mortgage broker will do is... They will give you a blend and extend, which means you don't have to pay the penalty. You get a new five-year term. And now suddenly you're within the first six months of your five-year mortgage and your penalty drops to the 3%, not the interest rate differential. So you get a new mortgage with the blend and extend, and then you can cancel that mortgage and refinance to a new one without having to pay the big penalty and only pay the three-month penalty. 
Ooh, bait and switch. You literally just emptied my whole dish, took it all, put it on your plate, and ate it yourself. That's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to get to. That is how I operate. Yeah, well, pretty much. I've seen you. No, thanks. You did. You covered exactly what I was going to bring up there because that was the YouTube that I watched. And I actually, I didn't get a chance to look it up, but they called it, uh, somebody phrased it the Martin's Mortgage Maneuver. So we'll put that in the show notes as well, but it's exactly what you said. You're back to that five-year rate that you can then cancel that mortgage and then start another mortgage at the actual lowest possible rate. Yeah. Have you done that? Uh, I have. Oh, how did it work out? Great. It's just a lot of paperwork. It's annoying. Right. (laughs) I can imagine it is a lot. Yeah. What was yeah. your hourly rate on the paperwork? Enough, right? It was enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was also doing a refi at the time. So it was kind of a perfect storm of trying to get a bunch of stuff done. Right. I think that's one that a lot of people have to think about too, is if you have, everybody seems to just go with, the, I'm going to take the lowest rate and I'm going to lock into a five-year mortgage. And they don't necessarily think about what life is going to look like in five years and I've fallen prey to this in the past. And I'm in a situation with one of my mortgages right now where the cancellation penalty is 25 grand. And there's, I signed, like, it's the worst written mortgage on the planet. There's <laughs> nothing I can do about it. Blend and extend's not an option. And I'm just stuck, right? Because it's never, the interest rate savings are not going to be worth it. I just have to ride it out. I didn't really understand how the interest rate differential worked until I watched that video, but it is interesting to note that like your 25K penalty, you have to understand that everybody seems to think that the the banks are such jerks because they're charging you this, but it's all written up front and they use their posted rates to do the calculations on it, right? It's all written out there and you're the one that agreed to that five-year fixed mortgage at that rate. Like you made a contract, they're just upholding you to the contract. That's also another fun fact is our Canadian banks post record profits all the time. Do you know what the majority of those profits are? People who signed up for five-year term mortgages and paid the interest rate fees before the time was up. Crazy, right? Yeah. That is the, like, that's the bulk of their mortgage profits. It's not the 1.7% you're paying on your regular payments. It's the... Well, that's basically nothing. I mean, it's 1.7%, but... They're counting on you not riding out that full term and then getting a premium from you paying out early. Yeah. How does that look if we see rates start to creep up? Do people start locking in their variables? Could do. I've been variable from day one. Why not just I, I'm gonna I intend to keep it that way, but that was a decision I made at the beginning. And I don't think you can flip-flop back and forth. You want to stick with what you're gonna do, right? Unless you have a stop loss type setup, right? If you determined bef- when you start when you signed up for the variable, if you d- had set a, a ceiling, a threshold, you, a threshold yeah. where you'd lock in, yeah, yeah, that could be a strategy too, right? Yeah, interesting. But I mean, you are going to pay a little bit higher rate on a variable right out of the gate. Like you're going to get a better, and this is interesting too because people just go, "You're going to pay a lower rate on a variable." Is the word you're looking for? <laughs> Not his best episode. No. <laughs> If you get a variable rate mortgage, the interest rate is lower. Because you have the risk of it going higher. I'm going to edit this whole section out so it's irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed. Just just because you're the person editing doesn't mean you can edit out ports where you're wrong. And it'll be on YouTube, so you might as well take responsibility for it. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, this is all, like, I have no control over the YouTube, so it's all on on air now. Yeah, Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. 
do I? Okay, never mind. Fine. Let's uh, let's go to the fridge and get another beer so I can uh, get functioning properly here. Yeah, you need it. Yeah, you definitely need another beer. <laughs> All right, boys. Welcome back to the FI Garage, where the money mechanic proves that he doesn't really know what he's talking about about mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> he tried really hard, though. Uh, on to our second round of Steamworks flagship hazy pale. It's a hazy pale ale. Hazy IPA. Sorry, IPA. IPA. Now, okay. What I was actually trying to say about variable rates versus fixed rates is the product that was available recently. I actually don't know if it's still available, but you could get a very low, the lowest, it was actually below one percent fixed mortgage, but it had to be a high ratio mortgage with with only five percent down, where you paid the mortgage insurance. That's where I was trying to go with you can get a lower rate for fixed. Okay. But maybe that maybe that helps pivot this into the discussion about do you put 20% down or do you put 5% down and pay the CMHC? Oh yeah, we got a big long email about that, didn't we? Yeah, I haven't done the math on it yet. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, who's uh, who's summarizing this? I'll do this do one it. again and you can correct me. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's okay. Somebody's got to step into the fire first, right? <laughs> Pun intended. You know, we're, we're, we're just here uh, observing, really. Yes. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> so we did get a great email and it was very well thought out. And I, we even, none of us have actually sat down and crunched it yet because it, it kind of made me go, hmm, that's, they might have something there. Yeah. A, a lot of it is in the assumptions, but the basis of it was, is they basically took a 500K mortgage and your choice is put 5% down or put 20% down, right? Yeah. So if you put the 5% down, you this is assuming you have the whole 20%, right? This is the assumption is you have 20% down. Yeah. Your choice is 20 down, 5 down. If you choose the 5, you have to pay 19000 for the CMHC mortgage insurance. Seems like a terrible waste of money. And he comments in the email that that's what I've said in the past. And I still think it is a waste of money. But, but <laughs> he says, and this is the but, which is, makes it really interesting. He says, you've got your 20% down, so I'm going to keep $75,000 in my pocket. I'm going to invest that 75000 k today, right? And I've got a 25-year mortgage. And basically, without going into all the numbers, because uh, he did some good spreadsheeting on the email so we could see it, anything above... I also don't think we know if it's a he, because I don't think we got a uh, name. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, them. How's that? Is that there you okay? Go. Am I supposed That's to say better. them? They. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the correction. They basically said that at about, what was it, account? Was it 5 or 6% return? I think it was around 5 or 6%. Yeah, around 5 or 6% market return. So if you invested that 75K for 25 years, you would end up further ahead after 25 years than putting 20% down. So even the $19,000 penalty gets wiped out and you by make returns. more money by returns. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a cool thought. I think yeah. it's a great thought. And as I said, I haven't had time to fully start playing with the numbers exactly where it makes sense. But I think it's going to depend on what you're assuming your return on your investment is and where mortgage rates are. And the difference between five and 20%. Yes. Small, smaller, if you're buying a $200,000 house, this might not be true. It might be the bigger your mortgage is, the more that benefits you. 
maybe this is a little spreadsheet. Uh, one of our wonderful spreadsheeters out there will provide for us as a sh- item on the show notes that a Google Doc you can go in there and punch some numbers in and and use some assumptions. It it is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting thought. Yeah, if you've been working really hard to get that 20, 20% down, maybe using it all isn't your best option. But then, of course, that comes back to the discussion is like, well, you're going to have a much bigger mortgage that you're paying off for long. Right. right? You're going to have a bigger mortgage payment. Yeah. And I think that was part of the assumptions too, was that if you put the 20% down, the difference in your mortgage payment well, you would have invested as time went along, right? You would have invested that as well. So you would have had yeah. equal monthly payments, but the 20% down gives you the advantage of a lower monthly payment, but you invest the difference. Yeah. So it kind of makes things equal. So uh, super great email. We really appreciate that one. It was, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's yeah. worth doing the math. And I think it makes the math a lot more complicated for people that are considering buying a house, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to consider, and the yeah. assumptions are super critical, right? I mean, we re- remove tax from the equation. We've removed the potential that you know you might have to pay capital gains on the property, like all sorts of things, right? Well, and I think one of the other factors on this is if you're buying a house and you have some rental income attached, and you're getting a return from that rental income, putting a lower percentage down is going to increase your return significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally. So. Another interesting one that I heard recently was, and do not quote me on this, and I can't believe none of you said that this show is for entertainment purposes only, and these are our opinions. Yes. Very important. <laughs> Very important. That's, you know what? I'm going to change the opening to the show to just that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage. This is for entertainment purposes only. We only like That's it. easy to remember. Super easy. <laughs> It might might be onto a thing there. New theme music, new intro. (laughs) I like it. Um, You guys are really good at distracting me and throwing me off my train of thought. Hey, yeah, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) So have a. Oh, one thing I did want to mention is I love on the Steamworks cans how they have all sorts of flying things, and they kind (laughs) of it's like it's what they call it. It's like um, steampunk art or whatever, right? Yeah. All the other cans we have, I'm always looking at them because they've got like little helicoptery type things. So I really appreciate that being a aviation guy myself. Another little segue out there. Yeah. 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 This is a tasty beer. It is not bad. We're definitely gonna get chirped again for talking too much about beer. We've already been chirped. Again, we're here I, for a good time. I'm here a for a good time. time. Yeah. I <laughs> like beer. I drink it on this show. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So back to mortgages. Uh accountant. We before the show we mentioned quickly in passing uh, product. Well, it's not really a product, but a strategy called velocity banking. There's some other names for it out there as well, and we'll hook you up with some YouTube videos in the show notes for that. But basically, accountants summarize how that works for us. I, I don't know what you're talking about with a velocity. <laughs> you simply asked me if I had ever done a 65% HELOC with the remaining 15% on a mortgage, which I have done. 35% on the mortgage. Oh, 20% down. <laughs> There you go. Okay. 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 Well, you get to introduce this one because you Well, what's a velocity banking? It's just a name. It's yeah, just what a name. is it though? It's, but it's exactly what he said. <laughs> so that's what let him it's, finish. So generally on a property, the most any financial institution will give you on a home equity line of credit is up to 65% of the value. So if you're buying something and you want your 20% down and they'll only give you a loan to value of 80, rather than getting the full 80% as a mortgage 
you can go 65% as a home equity line of credit and 15% as a mortgage. The advantage of this being obviously the HELOC portion is interest only. It's at a higher rate, but it reduces your overall payments. Monthly payments. So downside, you're not paying off as quickly. You're not paying off as quick, but I've done this on a rental property before because it increases the cash flow from my rental property. And on that rental property, I'm not as concerned about paying it off. Because it's tax deductible interest. Because it's tax deductible interest against the rental income anyway. And I'd like to be able to keep more of that rental income to reinvest into other opportunities. Right. Now, the thought I was going with, and the reason I called it the velocity banking, is the idea that you've got this 65% that's this HELOC that's interest only. The advantage there is it, you don't have any limits to the amount that you can put against that. So say you've got 400K sitting in that bucket that is your HELOC, you can pay 100K off, no penalties, anytime you want. Right. So for people that are want to really aggressively pay down their mortgage, if they structure it this way, they can really hammer out those payments. You're not going to have any prepayment penalties. And the thing too, is you've also structured it. So if you do then want to reborrow that equity to invest, you can, it becomes available right away. Right? right. And like you said, you've just got your 15% in a traditional mortgage. Now, the other thing with this is the point of, I believe it to be, again, don't quote me, the velocity banking is that basically every penny that comes into your bank account every month, all your income, everything gets applied to that mortgage right away because your mortgage interest is calculated daily on your outstanding balance. You, you mean the HELOC, not your mortgage. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. The HELOC. Yes. Yes. Does the mortgage payment come out of your HELOC accountant? I've often in the past, I don't do this anymore. I've often in the past just used my HELOC as a checking account. Right. So exactly what the mechanic was saying, every single penny that comes in the door goes down on that HELOC to reduce that interest. And when I need cash, it just comes off. Yeah. Which is basically the point of this, the velocity banking is all your money goes in there first and then you only draw what you need. Mm -hmm. right. So if you're prioritizing mortgage pay down, it's a pretty good strategy uh, to do it. But again, it's one of those ones where you have to set it up properly. And I think you have to be super diligent. The, the thing that I will say, the caveat to that whole using your HELOC that way is you have to be very diligent. Mm -hmm. Like I have a mortgage broker that I work very closely with and he hates giving anybody a HELOC because he sees 90% of his clients get a HELOC and then just never pay it off. Right. Because they, they say they have all these plans to pay it down quickly and they're going to be diligent and they do it and they pay off 20K and then they want a new car and then they pay off 20K and they want a new boat. And it's just a never ending cycle of actually not paying off the house. But that sounds pretty standard, right? Yes. Like for outside the fire community. Yeah, that's so, that's so a lot of. Hopefully our listeners won't have that. No, I'm not suggesting yeah. that our listeners would do that. I'm yeah. just saying it's it is something you have to be diligent with. The temptation is there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're we're all a little guilty of inflating our lifestyle from time to time. <laughs> Every now and then. Every Especially now. in the summer. Oh. Especially in the summer. Man, I feel bad for anybody that's not enjoying the 22 degree weather in Victoria right now. <laughs> oh yeah, cheers to the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, our buddy in Winnipeg there, Independence Forty, uh, posted a picture of snow the other day, and I thought, yeah, hopefully uh, we're allowed to visit each other soon because he's welcome to come out here for some April right. sun. Yeah. yeah, I was out on the boat in shorts and a t-shirt yesterday. 
Now we're just pissing people off. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. You're right. I'll stop talking. <laughs> All right. I brought my dishes to the potluck. Let's uh, wrap this thing up with uh, Econos. What are your thoughts? You're a hardcore renter. Uh, thoughts on mortgages, owning property, the the big push, the mentality of, it's almost all of North America, this, like, you have to own, you've got to buy a house. It's the only way you're successful. Like, what are your, what do you think? It's everywhere in North America, except Montreal, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, I, I totally get it. And it, owning a house or property is totally, it makes sense. You know, it's a, a backstop to if things really hit the fan. Mm-hmm. You have land, right? You have somewhere to live. You have somewhere to, you know, set up Lands your perimeter. Vegetables. Get your guns out, defend your land, right? <laughs> but I mean, if if things go that badly, nobody's nobody's going to be having fun. So, you know, why not just gamble that things don't turn? turn around like that thinking in bets i love it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i think you bring up a good point there too is in a roundabout way i mean we talked to Eunice on the last episode about the house of your landlord program is you can become a landowner and still be a renter true yep. yeah it's it's totally an option there and it there, is. it's actually kind of tax advantage for you to do it that way right you know you don't have all the costs of home ownership because we haven't even gone into that well, we you, talked- you have the costs but they're all Offset. They're tax advantageous, I guess. Yes. Is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Account, you're a ardent homeowner. You have rentals. You're on the that side of the fence for sure by the sounds of it. What are your thoughts? What about for you, long-term, you're still pretty young. Do you keep your house forever? Is it an asset as a backstop? What, are you, what is it your long-term goal with? Well, I have a, I have a rental unit in my principal residence as well as my other rental units. So, I'm just, I'm never changing anything. <laughs> I don't pay for my housing. I don't care. Well, you mentioned you wanted to bring up housing. I don't want to call them hacks, but housing strategies. So let's throw a couple out there before we wrap this up. I, I think the greatest one is the house hack. That's the fastest path to FI. It's the fastest path to wealth is not having to pay your housing expense. Because the minute you can take the biggest expense on everyone's light item and start pushing that into investments because you're not paying for your own, you're winning. And you do that by renting out a suite. Renting out rooms, rooms renting out a suite. Airbnb. You know, buy a fourplex and move into one of the units and rent out the other right. three. Whatever it is yeah. you do, however you figure it out, Airbnb rooms in your house. But if you can find a way to not have to pay for your rent, you're going to win. Interesting thing is that that strategy was, I don't want to say less common, but I remember when we first you know, started looking for a house 10 years ago, it was kind of like, gee, the only way we can really afford it is if we do something like that, having a suite in it. But nowadays it's basically, you have to have a suite if you want to be in a high cost of living city. Like it's, even if there isn't one in the house, you got to put one in. Like it's the, really the only way to, to manage these, to get in, to get in these, cause you're ending up with a super high mortgage, even with 20% down, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And what about your thoughts on now? I don't know what this is called. I don't know if it's the Mr. Money Mustache maneuver or not, but we talked to Fire We Go on a podcast and they mentioned that they moved into their basement suite. 
Like you could account, I've been to your place. You could move into your basement suite. You could yeah. rent your upstairs out for more money. Yep. Right. And that's like the, well, maybe it's called the mustachian inversion or something like that. Right? I believe that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> mustachian inversion. Yeah. It's something like that. Right. It's like, so you're living upstairs in the lap of luxury, but you've got a really nice downstairs suite with deck space too. So you could invert and, and, and hack that even further. Right. And that comes down to a lifestyle choice for sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it all does. It definitely does. But housing, housing is totally a lifestyle decision. And on that note, I, I that's the easy. It depends, right? And it's a lifestyle decision. Oh, you're saying it's personal? Personal, yeah. Personal finance is personal. Who knew? So are, are we ending the episode? Because we've said personal finance is personal, so it's over. And, and we kind of at the end, right? And how much beer you got there, guy? Not happening. I, I know where this is going. It's not do happening. It, do it. Do it. I have the end episode button right here. <laughs> yeah. Tontine. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. God yeah. bless Tontines. You know, the thing is, I didn't hear two cans crack after I went to the beer fridge and got another one. So they oh, definitely they both did. cracked. They did. Re listen. You guys are amazing. <laughs> <All right>, well, <laughs> thanks, Steamworks. Yeah, and uh, make sure you leave us a comment. And uh, we've got a nice little prize pack. Show notes or YouTube. And yeah, the prize pack will come out to you. It's like the fourth time I've Gee, it, it is totally his worst episode of all time. <laughs> he keeps trying to say something and apparently I just, 55 is where done. you start going downhill. Oh, <laughs> 55. Ouch. That's our episode number maybe. There you go. Yeah. All right, thanks. I thought you were saying he's 55. I don't know, he looks it. That's how I took it. That's how I took it. <laughs> time for me to sign off. I'm getting yeah. hacked. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the FI Garage. We'll catch you next time. Good night. Until next time.